0: We're going to be going through Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. I've titled this message, What Mountain Do You Live On? I'm going to challenge each one of us to to answer that question individually. Beginning at verse 18 of Hebrews, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness, and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now this refers back to Exodus chapter 19. I'm just going to go there for a a couple of minutes here. Beginning in verse 11, it says, On the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around. Basically, Moses was saying, God's going to speak to us, but you can't touch the mountain. You you can approach it, but you can't touch it. Saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. In verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had ascended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Now, this is an exact narrative of what actually happened, this isn't uh, a fictional tale. So if you can imagine what it must have been like to be standing around that mountain that morning. Thunder, lightning, have you ever been in a really intense thunderstorm or lightning storm? Okay, it can get it can get intense, okay? You ever been involved in an earthquake? You know what it feels like. Okay. All these things were going on. Fire literally was coming down from heaven, touching the mountain. All of that, God would reveal himself in this way, and it was a pretty terrifying way for the people. To be honest, it doesn't sound like a God that we'd want to kind of snuggle up to or press into, but he still is that God. Because these verses in Leviticus are a record of how God presented the law to his chosen people, the Israelites. In Galatians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 24 through 26, it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor." to lead us to Christ. So we may be justified by faith. Now that that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That law is a tutor to point us to Jesus. Now, if you remember at the beginning, back in Hebrews, it says we have not come to that mountain, but he's showing us what it was for the Old Testament saints. He's showing that they had to understand that they were a people who were guilty before a holy God. And that's a place you really have to start. You really do. Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah said that when I saw the king Uzziah, and the day that I saw him, he also saw the Lord. He recognized who God was and he said, Woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The law was designed to let us see a holy God, to allow us to see that in order for us to be able, at the Old Testament, for us to be able to press into God, we had to be able to follow those rules. We had to be able to follow the law, to do everything that the law said. The Jews had been freed from Egypt and would become a nation, but this was their infancy. I've got three grandkids, okay. uh, and th- the youngest is 11 months old, Ashton. Okay. And whenever he's he gets into something he's not supposed to, because he's now he's getting up a lot. He's not he's walking a few steps at a time, but he's into everything. And when he's starting to get into something, Grandpa, being the stern person that I am, will go, "No, no, buddy, no." You know what he does? Laughs at me now he's doing this back at me okay but he's 11 months old he doesn't understand what it really means yet but we're trying to teach him that he has to understand that his parents have the the power to correct and discipline and he has to understand that there's things that you should do and there's things that you shouldn't in other words we have to teach him okay I'm not of that that mindset that Oh, let a kid play on the stove until he gets burned, then he'll never go back there again. Well, if I can keep him from getting <laughs> burned, fine. Okay. But the idea is to teach the kids, and this is what he was trying to do with the nation, showing them that they needed to be able to be aware okay, of the fact that he is a holy God. Okay. The other two grandkids I got, one is three and one is five, Ashton, the three-year-old especially. Sometimes I tell them, excuse me, Aiden, <laughs> my daughter's back there, What? Aiden, okay. you try and keep those three names and Adam all together. I s- Aiden, whenever I tell him, okay, you guys, you better knock it off. Your mom and dad are going to see you, are going to get in trouble. Aiden sometimes looks at me, at me and laughs and says, Grandpa, you're silly. Okay. Um, now, I worked in the, in the prison system. Okay. I was in the army. Okay. Uh, I've got a degree in uh, alcohol and drug and alcohol counseling. I ran a security firm in Hawaii of 200 employees, so I know how to discipline. You know what? He still does it. But there are those times whenever they've almost done something that they really shouldn't or they could get in, even hurt themselves. Or maybe the two of them, they love each other, but the three-year-old and the five-year-old don't always get along. So when one of them decides it's time to hit the other one, it's like, no. And without even thinking, I say it in a way that they stop and look at me like, whoa, okay, we can't do that. That's what God is trying to do with the nation. It's important to understand that the law is something we need to recognize as a beautiful thing, but we don't need to live there. We don't need to anymore. Psalms 111.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This isn't talked a lot about, but it's important to understand and have a healthy fear of God. It is. I know there are, there are ministries, there are churches that teach, okay, oh, you know, just love everybody. God just loves everybody. Well, he loved the whole world, but he's also a holy God, and his righteous requirements need to be met. We need to understand that. He chose to un- interact with them, and their reaction was understandable. They were terrified. They're, they wanted the experience to stop, not to continue. But the amazing thing is, even though they knew that, it didn't change their hearts. In Exodus 19, 8, the people, after Moses brought down the, the commandments, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Shortly thereafter, God told them in Exodus 20, 23, you shall not make gods of silver and gold and worship them. So what do we find? Forty days later, we find them making a golden calf in Exodus 32. Forty days later after they said, God we know that, we're we're just gonna follow everything you tell us to do. Simple. At the time they said it, they probably meant it. But the law doesn't, doesn't equip you to be obedient the way that we need to be. It was completely necessary but inadequate. Why? Because the law can't bring people back into a relationship with God. That has to be grace and mercy. That has to be Jesus. It has to be. You see, the law involves performance. It's do these things, don't do these things. And we always fall short of what the law says. James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Now, my question is, at times, do you stand on Mount Sinai under the law, or do you stand where we're going to go, the other mountain, Mount Zion? Leviticus 22.31 says, You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. John 14.15, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One is do this, do it, you must do it. The other is based on relationship. If you, if you love me, you'll do it. Laws hanging over our heads, rules to follow. Do this to be blessed. But the New Testament motivation is love, relationship. Do you still operate out of performance at times? Someone, it's, it's so easy to say, well, yeah, I know that's the law. We're not on the law anymore. Okay, What about you? Is there ever a time when you feel like, you know, what? I just failed God. Okay, I just disappointed him so bad. And you wonder if he's going to listen to your prayer. You wonder if he's maybe angry at you or upset at you. That's the law. That's not Mount Zion. That's not relationship. Something... Else that happened interesting in Exodus twenty nineteen. Moses said, they said to Moses, the people, You speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. My challenge to you is, do you ever feel that way? It's great and awesome that you're here on a Sunday morning. Those of you who come every Sunday, it's awesome because you get to be able to be among family and hear what God is doing with the whole family. But I would also just share with you, if your only time that you're meeting with the Lord, if the only time that you're hearing from him is on a Sunday morning, you're missing out. What they're saying is, we don't want to hear God. We'll listen to one of his servants, you Moses, but we don't want to hear from God ourselves personally. You know why? Because if you listen to the Lord, if you get into his word and dig and meditate on him and ask him to speak to you, you're then a whole lot more accountable for what you hear than you are on a Sunday morning. I had a pastor friend of mine that told me he had a member of his congregation. He wasn't sure where the guy was even saved. But one Sunday, the guy came up and said, Pastor, that was an awesome teaching. I can't believe it. That was so great. And he's thinking to himself, wow, this is neat. And the guy says, yeah, I wrote those three verses down, those main points. I can't wait to get home, to go to my neighbor's house, knock on his door, and Put these right in his face and tell him, see what kind of a heathen you are? Okay. That's not love. And what he missed, the point he was missing was he should have been looking at himself, not deciding, oh, this is something I can use on somebody else. See, when you come on a Sunday morning, it's awesome. You can get fed. But you can also say, well, you know, that's, that's probably for everybody else. Or maybe not necessarily for me. I dare you to try and do that if you're reading the word and the, the word jumps out of you and the Holy Spirit convicts you about something or instructs you about what to do. It's a whole lot harder to just bypass that. And I know you've heard this, people that say, you know what? I'm afraid to pray and ask God what he wants me to do because I'm afraid he's going to send me to some foreign country. Okay, He's going to ask me maybe to go down and and." Join the soup line and minister to people. I don't really get along with those folks. Okay? You name it, what you may be worried about what the Lord is going to call you to do. So we can find ourselves hiding from that. Please, don't find yourself doing that. We are blessed here because we have a pastor who loves the Lord and loves his word. Have you ever seen those commercials about a uh, somebody who brings a plate in a fancy restaurant and it's just these little portions, but it's it's just fix so nice and it's all about presentation and the restaurant is this fancy restaurant, it's all about looking appealing, the presentation. Well, You know what? I'd rather go over to the Roadhouse and have a big 32-ounce steak. Okay. I don't care if it, looks, if it looks well done, if it looks burnt. Okay. That's what I want. I want to be able to dig into that. Okay. There are places that you can go where it's all about presentation. It's all about making you feel like, "Oh, this is appealing." You know what? God's word is appealing enough. Cuz God's word is what we need. It gives us life. And we need to make sure that we're going personally to the Lord on a regular daily basis. More than just daily. We we heard it this morning. God has a plan for each one of us. We don't know what the circumstances we're in is and what God is bringing about for something in the future or even right now. So we need to live in the presence of God. That's what's important. Then back in Hebrews chapter 12. You know what a hinge is, right? Okay. Well, this I would call this a hinge verse. But you have come to Mount Zion. He explains what law is he explains what sinai was but he said but you have come to mount zion to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem into innumerable angels and festal gatherings." i know it's a big thing now to see angels and they got this this you know little statues of them or they got the long flowing robes a lot of times they're even women that are angels okay uh i'm not saying that there aren't women angels well, I don't see that in scripture, but at any rate, um, we know that they're God's messengers, but they're also God's warriors, okay? So, you know, the point is we're going to be in heaven with the multitude of angels, okay? The ones that are looking at us realizing that, wow, they have a relationship that we can't even have with God. You realize that? They look at us, and I'm not saying that they're jealous or envious because they don't think they're capable of that, but they're, I'm sure, thinking, and even the Word says it, they've wondered what was going to happen. They didn't even understand the, the mystery of Jesus coming and dying on the cross till it occurred. They see that we have a relationship, and we are blessed by God in a way that they have never been. And we're going to be spending eternity in heaven with them. See, we're in a different place in our relationship with God. It isn't modeled after Israel's experience on Mount Sinai. We come to the Zion, the place of the new Jerusalem. Revelations 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. As we're reading this, please let yourself get excited over what this means. Because this isn't, again, this isn't fiction. This is, as best we can understand what what's our future holds. Shall be no more. Neither shall there be mournings, nor cryings, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm saying today would be a good day, Lord. Today would be fine. Yesterday would have been fine too, but since you haven't done it yet, today would be fine. There's a reason why we see in Scripture, even so, Lord, come back quickly. We have this is our promise. Okay. In fact, we have our names written there. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, a mansion. We already have a place picked out for us to be living. Okay. That's our future. That's our future. The heavenly city also is a complete company of angels, but also says the firstborn. Okay, I'm sorry, let's go to Hebrews uh, verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That firstborn refers to those people who are born again. You have family members, friends, people you've known that have gone to be with the Lord. If they're born again, they're there. But born again is also us. That's the firstborn company of angels and the firstborn and also to the spirits of the righteous made perfect who does that refer to that refers to all the old testament saints that look forward we see it in hebrews 11:13. for these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth that was the old testament saints that they didn't understand the concept that who re- they didn't really know who Jesus was going to be. They just knew that God was going to make a way for them. And they were looking forward to that. Contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. We're going to go through this quickly. Mount Zion is a place marked by fear and terror. Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. Sinai, only Moses allowed to draw near to God. On Zion, all God's people invited to draw near. Mount Sinai, characterized by guilty men in fear. Mount Zion features just men made perfect. Sinai, all about exclusion, keeping people away. Mount Zion is all about invitation. Come to me, God says. Mount Sinai is all about law. Mount Zion, all about grace. Best of all, Mount Sinai had a mediator, Moses. Mount Zion has our mediator who lives forever with us, Jesus. doesn't get better than that, folks. It doesn't. John one seventeen says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did. Because you can't follow every tenet of the law, we know that, but through Jesus we have forgiveness. Hebrews, again, verse 24, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angels. Excuse me, but than the blood of Abel. Back in Genesis 4, Verse 10, we see what happened to Cain. Remember, he killed his brother. He killed Abel. And what happened? Whenever God obviously knew about it, God approached him. It says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying from the ground. And he went on to tell him how he's going to then have to work the ground, how he's going to have to be doing these things that the the ground will no longer yield to you the way it has. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said my punishment is greater than I can bear. And that's always the way with the law. Abel's blood made Cain feel guilty and drove him away in despair. But the blood of Jesus frees us from guilt and open the way for us to be into the presence of heaven, presence of God in heaven. Mount Sinai Mount Zion there's a great distance between the two. But you know what stands right in the middle? A hill called Calvary. We can get from Sinai to Zion because of Calvary, because of Jesus' death on the cross. That enables us to have, to breach that great gulf. We're not under the law anymore because Jesus died on the cross. Now we can have that hope of heaven. In Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine, Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When the people saw it, the whole of his skin shone and they were afraid to come near him. That's always the way of the law. The law repels. The law, you get frustrated. You get feeling convicted, even condemned if you try to follow the law. But Jesus, the beauty of Jesus attracts. We look upon his face, we stand in his presence. The word says in his presence is fullness of joy. There was no joy for those people as they were standing there in front of Moses. All it was was fear. They didn't even want to look on his face, they were afraid. Not so with Jesus. Matthew 5.3, Happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does that have to do with this, Mike? Well, very simple. It says happy are the poor in spirit. Why? Because when you're poor in spirit, you realize the cross was made for me. You realize as you look up at Jesus hanging on the cross, you realize his hand spread, the holes in his hands, the hole in his side, the blood from that wound. The broken body means he's paid the price for our sins. The blood means he's washed the sins from us. That's what Mount Zion has for us. That's why the blood of Jesus is infinitely better than the blood of Abel. He did that so we can have eternal life. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In John 19, 30, it is finished, is what he said. Does that touch your hearts? Does that, when you realize what he said, it is finished, he's saying that, Tom, saying that, Tom, it's finished. <laughs> you don't have to do anything more to have a relationship with me except what I've done for you. Okay. Jose, it is finished. Okay, I can look at each one of you and say that. We realize what that means for us. God's holiness, all the things that he saw on that mount, and the sacrificial death of Jesus. All those things reveal how holy God is, but the sacrificial death of Jesus reveals more about his justice than anything you saw on Mount Sinai. Because we realize that God said, you can't approach me because of sin, but I am going to make a way for that sin to be removed, the price paid. I am going to meet my righteous requirements so that you can have eternity living with me. Quick story, ever, anybody ever heard of William Randolph Hearst? He had this huge uh, conglomeration of all these newspapers and magazines. He was one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. He, deci- he heard about two pieces of art that he said, I have to have this. I have to have it. He was, he was just almost fixated on this art because he had this one of the largest collections of art in the world. So he sent a man worldwide to go find this art because he said I have to have it. I read about this, I need to own it. And he was fixated on it. Weeks later he got a telegram, I found where the art is. I'll be I'll be in New York in four days. Guy shows up, comes into his office and he's Hearst is so excited, he said, that you, you found it? Yes. Is it for sale? And the guy says absolutely not. I know the guy won't sell it. Why not? And you know if the price is right, no, he won't sell it. Well where is it? It's in your warehouse. You own it. How often do we find ourselves that way with Jesus? How often do we find ourselves saying, I need forgiveness right now. I need healing, physical healing, emotional healing, relationship healing. I need direction. I feel lonely. I don't feel accepted. I need to be loved and we look at all the wrong places for it. See, it's okay when you're going through that to pick up a phone and call a friend. You know what? You should pick up your Bible, read your word. You should clear your heart and start talking to Jesus first. How often do we forget the treasure that we really have in him? That's what I want to leave you with today. We have a God who loves us Infinitely more than we can even understand. But we can believe it in faith and accept it. Do you accept it today, guys? Yes? Okay, can I hear that again? Do you accept the fact that Jesus loves us? Yes. Praise God. Okay. Then we need to live it. We need to make sure that we're not living anywhere near Mount Sinai. Okay? We need to make sure that we're living looking for Zion because of Calvary, that hill in between. Okay, Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that, once again, you've been speaking to us all morning, Lord, from the testimony about your faithfulness, how you are a part of our life, how you have touched us and healed us in the areas we need how we know that there's spiritual warfare, but that we can come to you with those needs. And now we can see that your law is a beautiful thing, but it's insufficient. But your grace and mercy, your death on the cross, your shed blood is more than sufficient. It is that doorway for us to be able to walk through that curtain that was torn. We can walk into your presence Help us to be doing that daily, moment by moment. Help us not to forget the treasure that we have in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I pray you be with each one of us this coming week and help us to remember how much you love us. In your holy and precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ.